Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, everyone. Happy NCAA Tournament Week. Yeah, we with made us it. it. Eat it, everybody. <laughs> Ourselves included. <laughs> <laughs> Ourselves included. I was much more optimistic than you were last week. Yes, yeah, 100%. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's super interesting because I think... Uh, it just really didn't seem like anyone in the like bracketology world thought we'd be in. I think at time of of the brackets being unveiled, we were in like maybe like fifteen of like the eighty something that are on bracket matrix, and it just really seemed like we were on the outside looking in. But uh, as as we kind of thought, it all came down to what the committee would value, and it turns out that strong data conference scheduling and uh, good you know Q one wins. Ended up meaning a lot, so uh, we we snuck in, which uh, I have no complaints about. Because while you could argue that some teams should have been in ahead of us, I don't think there was anything like super egregious in terms of like like there were just so many teams that were right in the same ballpark, like that whole like last four in, first four out group. Like you could take or leave any of those schools, so I, I don't feel bad about being in at all. Um, no I'm one ever should. Surprised. No, absolutely not. I mean, I don't even think like you could say that Syracuse got in like over a team that got super snubbed. Like you could. You could argue like one thing over another. You could always find like a an edge in a head to head matchup. But all those schools were so had such like similar and flawed resumes that you you know you, you, it's hard to get super worked up about any of the ones that missed. I think that's my biggest problem. Like to see people get worked up at like if you're a fan of a school, totally like get worked up. We've done it ourselves. Um, but like to see the amount of worked up that like third party uh, observers are getting with this to single out Syracuse is like the only team that's a problem when you look at like how you know Arizona State who we'll get to later finished the season look at how Oklahoma finished the season um even UCLA like didn't necessarily play like all that well um to me like I I just don't understand like the the rancor comes from the fact that you know guys like Lenardi um, didn't have Syracuse in, and therefore it sets the narrative for, like, who should, quote-unquote, be in. Um, but again, like you said, there, there there are flaws all along the line. You and I went through a bunch of these teams kind of on the bubble, and we said, like, yeah, I mean, technically, like, Syracuse is a better resume, depending on the metric, than most of them, but you look at another metric, and they didn't. Like, And, and, and that's the same for everybody else in that bubble. Like, none of those teams are perfect. Syracuse happened to get in by way of it looked like strength of schedule was the decider, especially with Middle Tennessee and St. Mary's being left out, Oklahoma State being left out, Baylor being left out um, to a lesser extent. I think Baylor's strength of schedule actually wasn't too far behind ours. But in in general, it's just I don't understand how you could really shoot much of a hole in in Syracuse's chances here. Not chances, but in, in Syracuse's inclusion here, when you look at all the teams that were left out and none of them like, is it the number that was in front of St. Mary's name in the AP poll? Was it the fact that USC got to the conference title game and finished, you know, second or whatever? It's, it just seems like a, a lot of gross overreactions about about something that, you know, and ended up working out just the way it always does, which is the teams that, you know, have a good collection of quality wins, have a high strength of schedule, um, in our case, maybe we were helped out a little bit by beating teams like Iona and Texas Southern and Buffalo, but nonetheless, uh, I'm happy about it. Everyone else should just probably shut up about it. 
Right. Uh, I, I do think the most interesting thing is it really proved that the whole notion of non-conference being very important and also your conference record not being as important as like what wins you actually pick up um, ended up kind of bearing out. Like it, it, You could always see the turn, like they say that, but then you could be like, oh, they're not going to put an 8 and 10 ACC Syracuse team in, but uh, apparently your conference record really did not matter that much. And even like in the case of like Alabama being a 9 seed and losing 5 straight at the end of the day, like that kind of shows that and Oklahoma obviously being in at all kind of shows that the the full uh, weight of the resume means a lot more than uh, like the final ten games that used to be taken into account or whatever, which I kind of get both sides of. I, I do think uh, there's something to uh, be taking into account like what a team is doing late, especially in the case of like Oklahoma where it wasn't like a a one or two week blip; it was like a two month thing. Um, and Alabama obviously was a little bit more of like a, you know, they had like a five-game losing streak before they had a nice little SEC tournament run. But um, it did seem like the committee actually stuck to what it's supposed to stick to this year. And I'm not just saying that because Syracuse died in, because honestly, I was not going to be that worked up if Syracuse got left out. Um, but it, it seems like they followed, like, the stuff that they are, that they always say they do a little more stringently versus oftentimes when they, uh, you know, have these parameters and then they kind of fit the narrative to include, you know, back up whatever teams they did include. No, 100%. I, I actually, I agree with you there. I think this this year's committee, despite all like the, the conversation about, you know, quadrants and, and, and all this other crap beforehand, I do feel like they actually stuck to it um, pretty well overall. I, I do think, and I know like Mike Rutherford wrote this on SB Nation um, on Sunday, um, I do think that Notre Dame being the first team out is was incredibly short-sighted by the committee. I know we talked about Notre Dame a little bit last week. Um, it's not to say, like, you know, you should there should have been riots in the street if Notre Dame was included, but I just, I, I still don't understand how a team that, that was very clearly flawed with its best players um, earlier in the season um, pretty much didn't really pick up a quality win with them back. Um at least a high quality win with them back. And then like, I'm supposed to, I mean, so this is even like a knock on Syracuse too. Like, you know, you look at Notre Dame's top two wins were Wichita state, which great win. Um, and then you beat Syracuse, uh, without your two best players, which cool. Like that's, that's a decent win, but it's not like earth shattering. SU was 39th in RPI. Um, other than that, like they didn't do anything that really set them apart. They beat teams. They were largely supposed to beat once they got Colson back. I just, I, I I thought it was it was a huge stretch, and even with them being left out, I mean they were only left out because Davidson was able to beat uh, Rhode Island late in the A10 title game. But like, I still just don't understand how Notre Dame like could have potentially been in that field. Yeah, I mean, and and but Notre Dame, like if they beat Ball State or Indiana when they had a full complement of players, yeah, like, they'd be in. They would have been in. So, and those were not great teams. Or if they had pulled off probably one more win after Colson came back, so. Um, the same thing if Syracuse has been left out, like and at the end of the day, you can only blame yourself when you have this many games and this many opportunities to add to your resume. Luckily for Syracuse, they uh, snuck in as the last team in this year after being the last team out or the first team out last year. So um, I think we'll take it. I mean, we said before the season and we said last week, like getting to the tournament is a big accomplishment for what this roster is. And we, we got there now. I know it doesn't super feel like you're in the tournament when you're in the first four. Um but it I does also, now. <laughs> it does. If I mean, I'm taking it, and uh, I, I like the matchup with Arizona State uh, from what I know of them. I haven't 
admittedly watched too much Arizona State since earlier in the season when they looked great because Pac-12 Network is not uh, abundantly available out here. Um, not abundantly available out here either. That's true, or <laughs> anywhere, really. Um, China, that's good at least. Yes. <laughs> I, we, we, should have, we should have consulted our, our, uh, the Chinese correspondent uh, on the Sun Devils. Um, but I do, on paper, like the matchup that we have presented. And then, you know, if we're playing on Friday then it really feels like we're in the tournament and we have to play a Jamie Dixon team if we get there. So whoopee. Which like, yeah, I mean, as much as, you know, a lot's been made about Jamie Dixon and, and his, you know, apparent dominance of SU. Um, he only lost five times against Syracuse while he was head coach at Pitt when they had a basketball program. Like all of that sounds great, but then, you know, you, you can't mention Jamie Dixon's time there without mentioning Jamie Dixon's failures in the postseason, why they were so willing to move on from him um, and, and, and roll the dice. I don't think they ever wanted to roll the dice on Kevin Stallings to begin with, but um, they were, at, in any case, ready to roll the dice um, away from someone like Dixon. Uh, you know, th- this isn't getting ahead to TCU. This is just kind of talking about who we would see. I think between them... And then, and again, like Dixon's noted failures in the uh, NCAA tournament. I know that the Frogs won the uh, the NIT last year. And then Arizona State, between their uh, late season swoon, uh, their struggles against the zone this year, um, and just it does seem like a good matchup. But I, I also, at this point, I, I know, and I think you do too. You know, not to not to make any assumptions about this Syracuse team. And uh, and what may or may not happen on a night to night basis since uh, since this season pretty much showed us that everything you knew from the last game you can mostly throw out the window. That is definitely true. Um, I will say one of the things that does make me so super not super confident but uh, relatively confident for this first game in Arizona State is that I feel like we definitely played better with semester rest and we'll have uh, what a full week. Um, yeah. From from the UNC loss to this Arizona State game, so uh, I feel pretty good about that, which is nice. Um, obviously, that goes out the window as soon as you know. If you win that game, then you're then you have uh, two days for TCU and two days for whomever Michigan um, State or Bucknell. Michigan State. Well, I don't know. <laughs> we, we've been here before. Go Bison. <laughs> Bison's. No, are Bucknell's they the, Bison. Are they, yeah, Lipscomb, Lipscomb is, is the Bison's, which, which is, is not great. a word, <laughs> <laughs> which is so good. Um, yeah, but for now, like uh, I think we get a full week, and apparently Jim Beheim is like a very very well versed in the Sun Devils. Does he? Be- Beheim probably like goes on Reddit to find illegal streams of Pac-12 <laughs> Network when he can't sleep. Um, <laughs> it's like so. Uh, apparently, he's he's watched that team a decent amount, which was uh, good to hear. Um, and they, I don't think Hurley ever coached against us when he was at Buffalo, right? I don't he remember didn't, playing. But he did play against us when he was at Duke. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, but that was, that was a while ago. That was before the zone was like yeah. the primary defense even. So I'm not super worried about that. No, yeah. Even, I mean, even if it was, I wouldn't be super worried about that. Yeah. It was so I mean, long maybe, ago. Maybe he'll, I mean, maybe he'll drop a line to coach Tay, but you know, I'm sure we've been on the phones with Hopkins a bit too. So, um, I'm not super worried about the uh, about getting prepared for this game, um, and then they have uh, smaller guards. If I'm not mistaken, they're not like a, the team's a decent... pretty, their team's pretty small in general. Um, everybody's I think there's like one guy who's six ten, one guy who's six eight. Um, everybody else is significantly smaller. That bodes well for Syracuse, who was who was the tallest team in the NCAA this year, I believe. 
Yeah, I think well, Chukwu really helps yeah. uh, a little bit. Obviously, <laughs> it, it's a little different of a situation when you know you don't know how many minutes you're going to get out of Bay on a game basis. Although it seems like when we need him, he's there. Yeah. Um, the last couple, uh, last couple weeks at least. Um, and then looking at their numbers, like they they aren't like a great. They're not they're not a bad three point shooting team. They shoot like thirty six percent from the field from uh, as a team, which is not bad. Nobody they over have, like thirty eight percent though. Yeah, there are four guys who uh, shoot all the are threes. all yeah they that shoot all the threes basically, um, and they're all within like they're all between thirty seven and thirty eight percent. So um, there are a lot of guys that can hurt you there, but no like elite guys. Um, and then I haven't like looked uh, super into it, but I believe just overall, like you said, they are a shorter team, which doesn't help it into zone. Obviously, if you stretch it out enough, then it doesn't matter as much. But um, we've seen in tournament play like our big guards. Uh, have you know kind of an impact on teams um and apparently they didn't play well against uh, washington which is interesting obviously we have a different team but the zone is uh the same and that that would be a uh you know a pretty good sign yeah and i know like you know asu fans already seem to be like very much like oh god like we we don't play well against the zone and i mean okay i'll i'll, I'll take that i think to me the biggest um piece of the puzzle here is going to be uh tempo um, that's something that, you know, Syracuse is one of those teams, not to the extent that maybe a Virginia or a Villanova is, but, um, we're a team that really needs to play at a certain tempo. Um, obviously like it's not bad to get sped up a little bit, but, um, getting sped up is different than like kind of speeding up the game by way of transition. Um, Arizona state is one of the fastest teams in the country in terms of tempo. Um, and you know, points per whatever it is, 100 minutes or 40 minutes. Um, while Syracuse is one of the slowest teams in the country, I think I looked, Arizona State's 39, and Syracuse is 342 in terms of tempo, according to Ken Palm. That is not great. And I usually would pick tempo over a lack thereof. But again, I think Syracuse has um, a staunch enough defense I think that they have shooters who can hit shots, and the fact that, again, we have this advantage now um, size-wise across the board. Um, I'm hoping that, similar to what we did against Wake Forest, uh, we're able to kind of exploit them in the paint a bit, um, You know, use that size from guys like uh, Dolzai and uh, Chukwu and some others. Uh, I don't think we're going to see the, the, the sort of Brooklyn display from, uh, from Dole that we did. But uh, I'll, I'll take something at least similar. If we can get, you know, like 10 and 5 from him, I'll feel pretty good about our chances. Yeah, I mean, if he plays like he did in the UNC game, like, obviously it's not the 20-point outburst that he had in his wake, but if he plays like he did in that UNC tournament game, like, he was very active, he was looking for a shot where it was appropriate, like, he was, heady, he was making very heady offensive plays, like, I, I'll take that all day, and if that's what we start getting going forward into next year, I'm pretty excited about his... Uh, his future. Um, looking at Ken Palm, like you said, uh, not only are they they're the 36th fastest team, we are the 342nd. I'm not sure how many teams are 351. There yeah, so we're, we're down <laughs> at the, in the basement. But it's funny if you look at offense and defense, like we're almost exactly like mirror. Uh, we like almost exactly mirror each other. Um, we have the 11th best defense. They have the 17th best offense, and they have the 124th ranked defense, and we have the 129th ranked offense. So. Uh, this is about as much of a clash of styles and strengths as you can possibly get in a matchup. 
Yeah, which again, usually I would take the faster team there, but here, because of the size differential and because of the zone, um, I mean, yes, there's some homerism involved, but I, I feel like, I do feel oddly at ease and confident in this game, despite what, like, to be honest, I'm, I'm actually much happier. Like, I know we wouldn't, they wouldn't have paired us against the Bonnies just because of the fact that we've already played them in the first four, but, like, I, I would much rather the, like, fading power conference team than the, like, surging, um, you know, not mid-major, but high mid-major, like the, like the Bonnies um, or, or a similar squad, um, in, you know, in a game like this. Yeah, I mean, Arizona State lost five of their last six. Um, they basically, against anyone of any kind of, like, decency, um, they lost... The last two to Stanford and Colorado, who were not particularly good teams. Their only win in that stretch was against Cal, who was not a particularly good team, although they blew them out. Um, but, he, I mean, earlier in the year, they were awesome. Uh, what, they won their first, like, 13? Yeah, they won their first... They won their first 12, and then they lost by 6 to Ari- at Arizona. And they lost to Colorado, and then, and then everyone kind of saw the writing on the wall from there um, when they got to 8-10 and 10 in Pac-12 play. Um, of late... Teams are scoring 70 or more with some regularity. Arizona State is one of the, like, less effective defenses in terms of just, you know, raw points per game allowed on the year. And some of that might be from, like, running away from opponents early. Um, So they were able to kind of, you know, make up some of the difference. But um, looking at points allowed per game, 75.3, that's 254th in the country. Yeah, so... Um, we haven't, like, seen us explode for point totals, like, a lot, but we've had some games where Syracuse has played a pretty efficient offense down the stretch and have gotten into, like, that 70-80 point range. Uh, I think we did against UNC in the close loss, if I remember correctly, and they've been in some better defenses, so, um, yeah, overall, I'm, I'm, you know, it's obviously not a slam dunk, I'm not gonna, like, put it in, uh, put it in Sharpie, but I definitely, I probably would have taken Arizona State over the other options in the first four, definitely not the Bonnies, because they would be super motivated and we've already played them, and I think UCLA is just more talented um, than Arizona State is. So I, I think we we probably got our choice if we had to pick between those three. Oh, 100 percent. I said I, I think that that's uh, it's it's just you know, and some people write this off as a slight gift to us. I don't this, that that you know the, the first four is a gift at all, but it, it's it's a gift only in the sense that we made the NCAA tournament field. Um, I. I'd say, yeah, of the options. And to be honest, like, once we, especially once two bids were stolen during championship week, I knew we were going to be in the first four if we were playing. Um, so I'd already kind of prepped myself for that. Um, I, I think I agree with you. This is this is the best draw um, the Orange could have had here. Um, and it's, it does set us up for what should be um, another winnable game against TCU. It looks like, um, you know, without looking ahead too much, um, the Frogs are beatable, according to most of the numbers. Um, a lot of people have been wringing their hands already because we would face a, a what seems like a beatable TCU team. Uh, the Frogs have some nice wins on the year, but they also um, did kind of seem to play to their competition in many cases. Um, obviously, again, you know, Dixon's failures, but... They're also not a great defensive team, and I feel like as much as 
Offensively, Dixon understands how to attack the zone better than most. Um, I think defense, he was able to do that as well because of how good they were on uh, defense and how great those athletes were. And, you know, right now, and he's building towards this, um, I don't necessarily think that TCU's in a place where they can really execute against this zone the same way that, uh, that Pitt did for all those years. Yeah, I mean, at Pitt, he had the benefit of going in behind Ben Howland, and he had his probably his best Pitt team his first year um, when he went to the Sweet 16. I, I don't have their schedule up, so I don't know if we, we were more competitive against Ditson earlier in his tenure than we were later on. Um, but overall, like I imagine the exposure year over year to uh, the Panthers playing against his own and knowing exactly how to attack it from the time they were freshmen probably has a major advantage over like these guys who will have um, from, what, Sunday to Friday. Uh, well, obviously, they won't even know if they're playing us, so I'm sure they're doing some zone prep, but yeah. really they'll have two days to know exactly where they're playing, um, which actually puts them in a weird spot because so many other teams have four or five. Um, and the teams could not be, like, further apart from, like, how they play. Right, so it's not like you can say, like, these two teams are similar, so it's the same prep. Um, it really, like, they're radically different, like we said. Um so, I mean, I, I would rather be playing a lot of other coaches than Jimmy Dixon, but overall, like, I, I'd say you, you can't just assume that this team will be just as prepared to attack the zone as those Pittsburgh teams were because Dixon was, was uh, hired from within, um, a very good staff that had been to, that, you know, had a lot of success before and after, um, and they, you know, had their system in place and they were recruiting similar players and, and they knew that they had to face us uh, usually twice a year. So, like, the playing against his own was a, a thing they knew they had to prepare for versus Arizona State probably. I mean, they knew they had to face Washington at some point, but it wasn't like a uh, An institutionalized thing yet. Of course. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I'm interested. I, I'll be a little nervous about the matchup because Pitt is, I mean, Pitt was always so good against us with Ditson there, but at the same time, you can't just totally assume it'll be the same exact thing, especially because this TCU team is a much better offensive team than it is a defensive team, like you said earlier. Yeah, and uh, just to answer your question from earlier, um, Syracuse just kind of garbage against them the entire time. <laughs> That's what I figured. Yeah, they lost four of the first five. Uh, then they won one. Then they lost five more. Then they won four of five during what was uh, one of the nicer stretches in Syracuse basketball history from 2011-12 through... Uh, in 2013-14, uh, again, Syracuse went four of five there, and then they closed out Jamie Dixon's time at Pitt by losing five straight. Oh man, I, I I'm so glad. I was so happy when he took the TCU job. Yep. Um, <laughs> and a I didn't expect him to get TCU as good as they are already. Uh, so credit to him for that. Like that was a weird. I mean, we saw Pitt going to the basement, and TCU is now pretty good. So we're like he made a really strong gamble to go to his alma mater. But um, like yeah. he's done a really good job of. See, I don't think well, it was that much of a gamble because TCU is willing to is shown it's willing to invest in athletics. They're willing to invest in him as an alum, and Fort Worth does have a decent talent base right in the backyard. That's fair. It's just that they have never had a, a right. huge history of success versus Pitt, where um, NCAA tournament aside, like was a, a a very good team for a long time. Um, so yeah, it's uh. It's it'll be interesting. I, I th- we do definitely have to do Arizona State first before we all start freaking out about uh about having to play him again. Um, but it won't be the same thing as playing Pitt. And if if it is like like we always say, it is the NCAA tournament, so we don't know that 
uh, Dixon has has wiped away that uh, part of his his resume, <laughs> or if or if uh, it's the same old same when it comes to tournament play, because I have it open and it's uh, it's relatively ugly. <laughs> I Two remember Sweet Sixteens and an Elite Eight. I remember I actually believed that like Pitt could get to the Final Four that one time they were a one seed. Oh yeah, that was a great team, and then they and they lost to Butler. Yes. I remember I was going to a movie because, like, I don't know, I just got, it was, like, burnt out. And, like, so, like, yeah, you know, I'll go to see a movie and I'll go watch, like, r- later games, like, tonight. And I was, like, going in to see a movie and I, like, checked my phone and I was, like, God damn it. <laughs> like, I had, because I had Pitt in, I definitely had Pitt in the Final Four that year. I didn't have them winning it. But I had them in the Final Four that year and, and that, was, that was the last time I picked Pitt to do anything ever. That that's very fair. Um, yeah, I'm just thinking like if if, if looking at Ditson's 13 years of Pitt, if Beheim had a 13 year stretch where he only went to the Elite Eight once and the Sweet 16 twice, like I don't even know what the fan base would be like. Uh, I feel like we got kind of close to that though. Did we? Well, just, from like 2000 uh, from 2004 through. 2012 when we finally got back to the Elite Eight. Yeah, but even then we made two Sweet Sixteens. Yeah, and that was a much shorter stretch. It was, and we had, and it was right after national championship, right. which obviously, uh, spoiler alert, this was not the case for Pitt. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Pitt. Um, and we had another. We had a couple Sweet Sixteens in there too. With like, I think the Warwick GMAC teams made at least one. I know they had the upset in Vermont, but they won the next one. They got there. They got to the yeah. Sweet 16. Yeah, so we had more Sweet 16s than, than Pitt had in all of Ditson's run in like our our waning years post-tournament uh, win before the like AO teams and then the uh, 2012 team, which made the Elite Eight, and then the two Final Fours. So I think the fan base would have been pretty rough if, if we had a 13-year stretch like this. Well, too, I mean, from outside, like you look at the flack that that Bayheim's gotten and Bayheim had during that stretch um, versus like the flack that, that Jamie Dixon and like Mike Bray have gotten for, for struggling, I think far more than, uh, th- than what that stretch that we just described for Syracuse entailed. Oh yeah. Mike Bray, Mike Bray like never did anything in the tournament until a, a year or two ago. ago. Yeah, a few years ago when he, the year he, where he they tested Kentucky, Kentucky and, and that was a good team, and now they're starting to be more competitive. I mean, obviously not this year, but now they're and uh, starting to be more competitive in tournament play. But that took like at least a decade before Mike Bray's teams did like literally anything. I think I don't, maybe he made the Sweet Sixteen like once before that. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I mean, maybe it's just because of the job and because like everyone knows what Jim Beheim is capable of. But I feel like at the same time, like he's just because of who he is, because of how he acts towards media. Because of how he acts towards criticism, I just feel like he's always been kind of held to a different standard. Um, and it'd be funny, I think. I was actually talking to Sean about this like a week or two ago. Um, like, how would how would Jim Beheim be viewed as a college football coach? Like, if you if he had as many like assuming a playoff was there the whole time, how many like large ball games would he have won? How like one champ like one national championship? I feel like. The, the lens on him would be very different as a college football coach versus a college basketball coach. Yeah, it's tough to compare. Um, assuming the playoff is only four teams like it is now. Um, yeah, I mean, it a couple it, times. 
Yeah, he's made it. I mean, he's made it a bunch. Um, Jose, like if you if you looked just, at like end of season, like any time we finished, let's say any time we finished with a one seed, or any time we like were around the top ten or so that we would have made like a major game. I would, yeah, I'd say he'd probably be like a maybe like a Just Melzon. Obviously, a longer career. I'd give him more than a mile. I'd, I'd almost give him like a, a less miles. Yeah, I think that's probably fair too. Um, there's like uh, occasional recruiting questions yeah. and uh, <laughs> some issues with like particular rivals who he has trouble beating. Yeah, I think that's that's pretty fair. <laughs> Not necessarily adjusting to some things occasionally. I'd say their personalities are quite different. Very. <laughs> but yeah, now now you know that if Jim Beheim was a college football coach, he would be less miles. And one national title. Yeah, and one national title. Where, where we and, and and others when he should have won them. Also yes. less miles. Um, I don't know if Jim Beheim's ever eaten grass. Yeah, it's I, in, yeah, he's in Syracuse a lot of the year, so there isn't that much opportunity. This is true. Yeah, I, uh, <laughs> I, I sincerely doubt it. Unfortunately, um, I think that takes us into halftime, Dan. So, uh, what have you been drinking? I know we skipped last week, but it's only been like a few days since then so yeah i haven't had too much stuff it hasn't been a crazy i had like a lot of drinking for a couple weeks and now i haven't had that much and this week in st patrick's day so you can connect the dots um so let's see i had uh, a state gold ipa from pipeworks out in illinois um they're not the only ones who brew that beer uh but it's very good ipa um i had a liquid optimism from half full in my hometown of stanford connecticut which was a pretty good effort. I haven't always loved half full stuff, but it is cool. They are my my first hometown brewery. There's another one now that I haven't been to yet, but uh, this is a pretty solid uh, IPA effort from them. Um, I had a Jester's Nectar from Middle Ages, which I had left over from the other uh, couple weeks ago when I went up to upstate. Uh, I had a set of Syracuse Pale Ale, both obviously very solid. And then tonight uh, I had dinner before, and I had a uh, Harvester of Simcoe by Equilibrium Brewery, which is somewhere in New York State. Uh, in Middletown, which I believe is Long Island? Uh, maybe? Middletown, New York. Oh, no, maybe Orange County. So oh. Hudson, Valley, Hudson Valley. Um, so yeah, I didn't, I hadn't had anything from Equilibrium before, but this was very good. Um, super citrusy, uh, I, super hoppy IPA. Um, so I enjoyed that. Nice. Uh, if I could first go back to what I was drinking in Atlanta... Um, I had had from uh, Scofflaw Brewing had a sneaky wheat as a pale wheat ale actually on the heavier side surprisingly um, had the obligatory 420 extra pale ale um, while I was watching the uh, Syracuse Wake Forest game with uh, noted Noons commenter X Towny got to share a couple of beers down there um, stopped over at Orpheus Brewing on uh, on Wednesday while I was down there, had a bunch of beers from them. Had uh, Atalanta, it's a uh, saison. Had uh, their double IPA, Truth Body Soul. Had another double IPA from uh, from them, uh, Transmigration of Souls. And then also had Noise and Flesh, which is a wild ale from them that very much uh, does a great job imitating like a traditional Belgian lambic. Um, so I had a pretty enjoyable time with that one. Um, also had an Athena uh, Berliner Weiss from uh, Creature Comforts, which is located in Athens. Um, then, out here, 
Uh, my buddy Tim in Texas sent me a, uh, a bottle of Yellow Rose from Lone Pint. It's among my favorite IPAs. Really, really good when fresh. Then I stopped over. Uh, Modern Times opened their new um, downtown LA uh, tasting room called the Dankness Dojo. So uh, got to try some things from them. Had a uh, Tupelo Bampo, their uh, kind of a New England style IPA that was, uh, seemed like it, I think it was uh, Denali focused. Um, also had the uh, Pescapata. It was a uh, coconut, pineapple, and uh, something else. I think it was guava um, IPA. And then I had another uh, New England IPA from them. It was a Prisoner in Eden. It was uh, a little more tropical, a little more uh, citra-focused. And that was it. Nice. I'll be I'll be back down south for the weekend, so we'll see what's uh, available on St. Pat's, although I, I feel like St. Pat's isn't a, a holiday for good beer. It's a holiday for quantities. I just... Ugh, I hate holidays that tell me to drink. <laughs> That's fair. It's never been... <laughs> it's never been my thing. Anyway. Um, you know, I feel like we can we can swing back on Arizona State at the end here, but one thing I would want to discuss with you, Dan, is just kind of the, the Midwest region overall. I think we can make some picks um, for ourselves as well, um, if that works for you. Yeah, I have it up. Cool. Um, all right. So I guess first and foremost, just looking at the Midwest region, um, I think this is the one we'll talk the most at length about because it's the one Syracuse is in. Um, Kansas, Duke, Michigan State, all pretty dangerous teams. Um, of those three, who do you think is the most dangerous? Uh, most dangerous, I would probably say Duke. I think Duke has maybe the highest ceiling in this entire tournament. Yep. Um, just there's always a question uh, as to whether they'll get it all together. It seemed like they they kind of were in the ACC, but then UNC knocked them off. Um, so it, there are definite questions there. It's not like a you know, every game you get like the, a great Grayson Allen. He was pretty terrible, and it's the Tar Heels. Um, yeah, he's always like there's... one like you know just hissy fit away from like imploding their entire season. That's you, or he'll you know finish with a terrible shot like he did uh, in that tournament game or something like that. Like if you get a good Grayson Allen, because Badley's pretty consistent. Like Badley will give you a really strong effort almost every night. Um, I think Allen's really the wild card. Uh, and we've seen him have great tournament games before, and we've seen him totally flame out. So I think they have the highest ceiling, and they could win this whole tournament. Um, Kansas, I, I, I feel, I think Kansas is good. I, I have them going to the Elite Eight, um, but they just don't really excite me. Uh, I think Graham is great. Uh, they have a pretty shallow rotation, though, overall, and this is, wasn't a super inspiring Kansas team. I don't know uh, how they got a one, like, I understand how they got a one seed, just because, like, I think them and Xavier are probably, like, just some of the worst one seeds I can remember. Yeah, Virginia and Villanova are the only two teams this year, like, based on, like, what a normal college basketball season's like, that, like, you look at that and said, okay, that's a definite one seed. The other two, like, Woof. it was just, and there was no one else to, like, replace them. Like, you right. could have argued, if you had seen one the ACC, I think they would have stolen one. Um, Duke too. You, you could have argued Duke if they had won one more game, probably could have gotten it. But like even even those would have been fairly weak one seeds. Like UNC would have had what, a ten loss one seed. I guess they would have had one fewer loss if they had won the ACC, but still. Um, yeah, they would have been ten loss one seed. I mean, even a nine loss one seed would have been rough. I think Duke I would have been more tolerant of, only because they did play without Bagley for an extended period. 
and they arguably play better. Uh, yeah, I don't, do. I don't, I don't expect it to be like a Ewing theory thing, but yeah. like their best stretch of the season was when Badley was out, which is weird. Um, I don't think they want to like test that theory going forward, but um, it just seemed like they were really knitting together. And then you know, obviously losing to UNC is not like a huge deal. That's a very good team, but. Um, they definitely don't have, like, if they had won the ACC tournament, I think they would be, like, the overwhelming favorite to win this whole thing. I think people would be falling over themselves to bet on Duke. People were last year, and then you look what happened there. South Carolina right. showed up. and Yeah, I mean, that's always, any any big Duke team is always going to get a lot of love. Uh, this year, I feel like less so, though. I think the team I'm going to bring up next is the one that I have seen most, and that's Michigan State. Um, so Billis is riding with them. It's like the, the team to win it all. Yeah, and I, I, I haven't sent in any brackets yet. I right now have them losing in the title game. Um, I'm not in love with it. I feel like it's too popular and, and a little too obvious. Nah, F- um, I also can't root for that pro- that like athletic program and anything right now. Oh, that's fair. Um, just on paper, though, like if Bridges uh, comes to play and, and Jaron Jackson, I feel like we'll probably start to see more since they've kind of like he eased him along. He's only playing, what, like 25 minutes a game maybe, even though he is probably going to be a top five, top ten pick. Um, probably a top five pick. Uh, so I, I have them right now. Um, but that they, I mean, they're the same thing as, as Duke and, and a lot of these teams. They Even Kansas, like, they, they lost a bunch of games. They're, they could be had on, like, any given night by teams that aren't great. So I, I think that's... As much as, like, I feel like, they, I feel like they're the least tested of the top three seeds here. Probably because the Big Ten is trash, pretty terrible this year. I mean, Purdue is right there too. I, I, I actually like Purdue on paper a lot, but they also have that whole like, is this actually going to be a year where Purdue makes a deep run thing? Right. Um, yeah, just that whole conference was just so down this year that it's tough to get super excited about uh, any of those teams. But as of now, I have them beating Kansas. I just think that they are a little better. Um, you also got to worry about the rust theory with them too at this point, like. Everybody, I mean, I, I know it sounds a little cliche, but, like, we brought this up, um, like, when the Big Ten announced they were going to do it early. Like, there's a lot of teams going to come into this, you know, tournament with a bunch of momentum. Um, and if you're Michigan State, you've been sitting around for a week, eight days, whatever. Like, since the last time you played, it does get a little, or, I mean, at least that, like, I would think it gets a little worrisome. It's the same reason why, like, you know, back when, back in the 16-team Big East, you know, the last thing anybody wanted was the, you know, double bye because you would face a team coming in with some momentum. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting theory. We just haven't had, like, really anything like it in terms of this much of a break. Like, occasionally a team will bow out early in their conference tournament, but if they were going to be a high seed that was competing for a title, they probably lost in a double buy situation in the quarterfinals, so then they'd have like Thursday to Thursday or Friday. Yeah, um, so you get a week versus off. this, which is like a whole extra week on top of that almost. Mm-hmm. Not great. Um, gonna be honest, I don't believe in four through six here. Uh, Auburn. It's not like they've looked terrible, but like what they showed in that SEC tournament to me, like just getting blown out by Alabama. Like I, I know there's a rivalry factor there. But I just don't necessarily see that like as boding well for them. And then Clemson, I I know that they did well in the ACC tournament, but I don't necessarily see them being able to uh, to do much here. And I actually see them being upset in round one. 
Yeah, I thought about uh, I thought about that Clemson New Mexico game, uh, State game. Um, I have them and Auburn both advancing through round one, just as I wasn't like super excited by either of those, you know, College Charleston or New Mexico State. Although I know the Aggies have uh, a bit of NCAA tournament history, um, I took Auburn to win that one. Uh, I really, it's like a twin flip for me. I think they're kind of similar teams. I think Auburn might have a little bit more top end talent. Um, but Clemson definitely played in the harder league and finished third, which is impressive. Um, I know Auburn won the SEC, but you know, <laughs> it was the SEC in 2018. Like there was, it was definitely better than it has been, but I, I still think overall the ACC was, was better top to bottom, oh, yeah. um, especially by end of the year. I know there was a little bit of a push to the SEC mid year. Um, but you know, we saw the, the bottom four or five of the SEC ended up being pretty bad. Um, so I, I'm not like, over, I think it's impressive for them that they got here. Uh, I wonder what happens to the program going forward. But all things aside, I think Bruce Pearl's done a nice job just in terms of on the court reviving that program because they were terrible when he took over. Um, but, uh, you know, them or Clemson, I, I took Auburn just – I could change my mind by, by Thursday. It's not like <laughs> a huge uh, – I don't think it's a huge, huge thing either way. Fair enough. Um the eight, nine, and tens all intrigue. I and I skip Rhode Island on purpose just because I don't really, I don't know what to believe with them anymore. Because like the middle of the season was great, the early parts of the season were great, but like they got blown out by St. Joe's late in the regular season. Um, they just didn't, they didn't really seem focused against Davidson, who just was kind of upset minded from the jump. Um, so I'm I'm gonna earmark Rhode Island as like a maybe here. Um, Trey Young's probably not the best matchup for them. Uh, Oklahoma actually probably gets the best matchup it's gonna get as a ten seed. And I mean I don't believe in them, and I'm picking them to lose. But um, I could see why anyone might want to pick them to uh, to pull that upset off. Yeah, I actually took Oklahoma, um, if only because Rhode Island kind of had a weird end of the season and I, I feel like Oklahoma and Trey Young are just going to be very happy to get out of that just horrible mid-12 run they had and get some right. rest. Um, not that Rhode Island can't watch film and kind of see what teams have done with Trey Young down the stretch here to like knock him off his course but um, I just kind of think that we're not going to go with just a one and done uh, or you know one game and out for Trey Young here. I, I feel like he'll he'll really come to play to try to make a statement in this tournament after falling off, not off the map, because we still talk about him all the time, but his team kind of fell off the map for a little while there, and they limped into the tournament. So I have them beating Rhode Island. I Again, this is another coin flip. I could see it going either way. Um, the 8-9, I think, is super interesting. Um, I took Seton Hall over NC State, but I, I think that's a, a really tough matchup, and I think either one of those teams could give Kansas a run. Uh, I think Seton Hall's very... Uh, I think it, it's day-to-day with them. Um, there are nights where they look awesome, and then there are nights where they just don't show up at all. Um, Same with but, NC State. Yeah, they're they're both very uh, temperamental teams, um, but that that's a really fun eight nine matchup I think, and I think both those teams could potentially be a lot better than those seed lines depending on you know when you catch them. Yeah, I mean I would say with all the eight nines this year, the the ceilings for those squads are far above those seedings, and that uh that creates intrigue, especially in a year when you don't believe in at least two of the one seeds, and you know there's questions about pretty much everybody beyond the top two. Yeah, I really wish Colin Sexton and Alabama weren't in line to face Villanova, because I feel 
pretty good about Villanova's ability to uh, at least you know deal with him and and win elsewhere uh, or and and just beat Alabama. But if it was uh, like Colin Sexton versus Kansas or Xavier, uh, I think we'd it'd be a lot more fun. Oh yeah. Assuming they get by, uh, who, who do they have in the eight? They uh, oh, Vatek, which eh, I don't know about yeah. Those. Yeah, all these eight nines are. I mean, I know eight nines are are by definition like the closest matchups, right. but um, these are all extremely close. Yeah, like I, I mean, I could see all of, like. There's some years where you just know, like, okay, this nine seed is going to do whatever, like, or like this eight seed start the season, like, ended the season poorly, like this year. I just think that there's, there's just so many wild cards. I mean, we'll get into that a little bit, but like. The KSU Creighton matchup is like super, very much a toss up. Like Missouri Florida State has its own question marks. Like there's just a lot of like there's a lot of questions, and and all again, all those teams are very capable of knocking off just about anybody they face too. Yeah, I think the one I feel best about is probably Florida State Mizzou, and I have the Knowles, but. You know, if Michael Porter just like shows up, what's what's healthier than he did in the uh, SEC tournament, and it's it's hard to really uh, blame him for not playing well, although it is weird they took 17 shots in his first game back. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, if he shows up and is, is uh, uh, even ver- slight version of what we thought he would be at the beginning of the season, like, that's going to be a, a real trouble spot for the Knowles. But if it's, Mizzou, if it's the Mizzou that we saw in the SEC tournament that lost to Georgia, I believe, in the first round, then uh, I think Florida State probably has a pretty big edge there. Agreed. Um. All right. The uh, the lower seeds. I heard uh, I heard on a one shining podcast that uh, Mark Titus was talking about Penn being able. I mean, he was joking too, but like Penn being able to upset Kansas. That's the that's the one sixteen that everyone's latching onto. I think Penn is definitely underseeded. Um, I think they probably profile like more of a fifteen, if not a fourteen, especially because the Ivy League's been really good in the tournament mm-hmm. in the last like seven or eight years. Oh, 100%. Uh, I mean, Harvard won games in 2013 and 14. Uh, Gale won a game last year and almost beat Duke. Cornell had a run to the Sweet 16. So I don't think this Penn team is necessarily as good as that Cornell team or those Harvard teams. But, uh, I mean, one yeah, of the guys at all is pretty impressive. And they won it in the regular season, too. I know I think they were tied for first in the regular season and then won the tournament. So um, the fact they're a 16 is, is a bit bizarre. Yeah, I mean, Ivy is, like, quality i mean princeton last year what didn't they like just miss knocking off uh, notre dame too uh princeton yeah yeah they lost by two yeah uh, the yale thing was two years ago um yeah i was kind of surprised that like lipstrom or cal state fullerton uh wasn't the 16 and penn being a 15 um, well, especially when neither of them were top were top seeds in their conference right no fullerton was uh like the fourth seed and then Lipstrom, I forget. I don't think. I think they were in the top like three, but they weren't. Uh, they weren't um, like super close to the top. Um, none of these sixteens came out of nowhere, though. I know there were like some upsets, like UMBC beating Vermont. Wasn't as crazy um, as some previous years. Like, th- there's no like eleven and twenty team yeah. in here. Which is, um, all which the sixteens are pretty decent. Yeah. No, I think that's for the best. Yeah, I think I um, saw somebody tweeted out like the numbers and like the lowest seed to win was like one like six seed. I think won their conference, but that was really it. Yeah, which is which is definitely better um, because uh, obviously there's the argument to me the argument to be made that you know they should just go with the regular season champs, which is probably the way they should do it if it was terms of fairness. But well, if they want to, 
I mean, I get it's the TV argument. Like Championship That's, Week, yeah. Championship Week is garbage from like a like. Do you want the best teams in the tournament standpoint? But from a TV standpoint, I get it too. Like this is the this is the one chance, other than the NCAA tournament, the one game they're probably in for a lot of these smaller conferences and these kids and whatever to get you know this sort of exposure. So like I, I can see both sides of it, but I do think like if you're a conference and you want to be able to grow what you have and and your facilities and everything else, um, getting large getting a bigger chance at earning those uh, NCAA credits and that that you know help you know pay for coaching changes and and numerous facilities updates and fan experience stuff like sometimes it's helping your athletic department break even like those are all really important and and you see you know you're seeing now like with the american athletic conference in particular um, a conference that has been benefiting until like this year um, from credits being paid out for uh, louisville who won their title and then bounced Um, obviously that's been stripped now but um, a conference that like is now gonna. I, I'm very curious to see how that league does going forward. Now that like you're gonna start seeing those NCAA credits dry up um, between this year and next year when UConn's 2014 title also comes off the books. Yeah, and and this year, I mean, I think the AEC was actually pretty good this year, but um, I'm also interested to see how they do. I, I uh, in this tournament, um, Cincinnati's at two, but I have that whole bottom of the South like. It's kind of a bloodbath for me. Um, I have no idea what to I do have, with that part of the bracket, to be honest. I have Nevada beating Cincinnati, uh, and then I have Loyola Chicago beating uh, Miami and Tennessee, and I have that matchup, and I have Nevada winning. Um, I had to go Loyola Chicago just because they are one of our adopted teams from earlier in the year, um, and they are 11 seed, and they're quite good. I, I could actually see the Ramblers. I had the Ramblers beat Miami. I had them losing Tennessee, but I could absolutely see them. Uh, getting past there. I have Cincinnati going to the Elite Eight, but I don't... I'm still, like, traumatized from, like, when we were kids and, like, Cincinnati would always have, like, quality seeds and then screw it up. And pretty much, like, the entirety... I mean, they were never great seeds under McCronin before yeah. this, but they were always... I feel like they were always a seven. Um, and they always effed it up. Yeah, and they always lost in the first or second round. Uh, I'm pretty sure this is... I, I'm pretty sure McCronin's only made it to the Sweet 16 one time, mm-hmm. so... I think no, I think you're right because I wrote an article about Cincinnati recently, and I think I remember that being like a fact. Yeah, I think he made it maybe in the second or thirty. I looked this up the other day when I was writing something. They've only made in the lead eight like I think like once in the last like twenty years or something. And that was before he was there. That was yeah. probably Huggins. I think that right. almost definitely was Huggins. I think that might have been like one of the it was like right before the Kmart, maybe. If I memory just looked serves. it up. Yeah, well, I don't remember. I was young. Um, yeah, Cincinnati was always, like, they were always a, a pretty much a lock to make it to the tournament, and I think they have the last, like, however many years. I, I think that it's been a while since. I think they last missed in 2010, I think. Jeez. Um, but they just never really did much. So Cincinnati made it to the, the Elite Eight under Huggins in 96, and then before that they made the Final Four in 92 and the Elite Eight in 93. Yeah. Yeah. And then they made 32, 32, 32, 32, 16, 32, 64, 32, 32. Well, only only way to go is up, Bearcats. And that's under Hawkins, and then it's been pretty much the same. <laughs> I also, until just now, I totally forgot Bob Huggins had that one year where he coached Kansas State. Ah, oh, that's right. That was so weird. Yeah, that I totally forgot about that. What a weird thing to have happened. <laughs> 
and then he bounced for West Virginia, and it's been quite good there. It has. Um, all right, I guess wrapping up this bracket, do you see, like I already said, I see New Mexico State beating Clemson. Uh, do you see any other upsets here um, from the 13, 14, or 15 lines? Uh, I don't know if I have any 13, 14, or 15s, actually. I have a couple of 11s. Yeah, I I think like one thirteen at least has or higher has won every year in the last like ten years. Yeah, I haven't really solidified what I've done here yet. Um, Same. Uh, I'll probably do that Wednesday night or Thursday morning. Um, I have, like I said, Loyola Chicago making it to the Sweet Sixteen, and then I have the Bonnies um, beating Florida. That's not a bad idea. Um, all right, so who do you have? I guess getting out of this bracket, and then we can we can go quickly on the rest and then give some predictions for the Arizona State game. Um, just like overall in the bracket? Yeah, or I guess like who, who's your Elite Eight and who do you see getting out of this bracket alive? All right, or or so this region own... alive? Uh, which one are we looking at? Sorry. Midwest. The, just figures Midwest. Already, yeah, we already talked about that. Uh, I have Kansas, Michigan State, and then I have Michigan State winning. All right. I have got uh, Duke beating Kansas and... I would love for Kansas not to be there just because I I don't believe in them. Yeah, I don't really believe in them either. Either I think I could definitely see Duke. I think Michigan State, I'm like cutting between like what is expected and also um, like, you know, who actually makes runs versus like, this is this is just such like, there have been so many better Kansas teams than this. This mm-hmm. is not going to be the one that makes it to the Final Four. Although so many better teams have missed the Final Four. <laughs> That's true. I mean, they haven't really done much since, uh, I guess, when they lost to Kentucky and Anthony Davis in the title game, which should have been our spot to lose to Anthony Davis in the title game. Grr. Agreed. Um, all right. Going quickly now, because I know we've been doing this for a while. Um, in the East, who is your Sweet 16? Uh, let's see. I have Nova, West Virginia, Texas Tech, Purdue. Pretty chalky. Same. And then uh, who, who do you have getting out of there? I have Nova over Purdue. I could see Purdue giving them trouble with all that size, um, but I just trust Villanova more. I've got West Virginia over Purdue. I'm not really, like, a big fan of it. I just... I mean, I guess I could... Mm, I might end up switching that just because... Bait, I mean, you'll, I'll reveal the rest of this bracket, but... Based on how I was trying to avoid like too many trendy things, and I ended up with three ACC teams, which was a surprise. <laughs> so I'm trying to fi- I'm trying to convince myself that one of those is going down, and I'm just not sure which one it is. Um, I'm a big fan of West Virginia style of play. I don't know if I think it can speed up Villanova and get them a little uncomfortable. I just don't know if it's enough. Yeah, and there's always questions about like how the refs are going to handle West Virginia. Right. Because they are so they are so aggressive, um, and I feel like the last couple of years it's been tough for them. But they've also had like they had the deep run in in twenty ten, uh, beating the John Wall team at, at the Dome. So it's not like unheard of that West Virginia team to make a run here. It's just been a little bit. Um, but this is quite this is a very good team. Uh, Javon Carter has been in college for a long time, and I feel like he uh, deserves a decent run. And and they've come just a bit short of where people have thought they would do the last couple of years. So I could definitely see it. Um, but uh, I think they'll beat Wichita. Um, the Murray State, I feel like, I don't know, are people really picking Murray State? I just, I feel I'm like... I'm not hearing uh, as much about them as I am about the, the other 12 seeds. Yeah, I don't know. I don't love these 12s, to no. be honest, like across the board this year. Um, I think Davidson's way over overseeded. 
Yeah, I don't really understand how that happened. Like, they were the third, third or fourth seed in the A-10. Yeah. Like, they're not a bad team, but Kentucky... Like, I thought Kentucky Buffalo was better than them for sure. Yeah. No, I mean, Buffalo was better for them all year. And you could just switch them. Yeah, year. and you could just switch them because they're right in the same bracket. Like, you could literally just just had Davidson face Arizona. You could have sent Buffalo to Kentucky, and that would have been fun as hell. Yeah. Anyway, uh, speaking of, South Bracket, who's your uh, who's your Sweet 16? Um, so, like I said, in the bottom, uh, I have, like, the crazy Loyola-Chicago-Nevada matchup. Uh, and then in the top, I have Virginia-Arizona, which is maybe the toughest call for me in this whole thing is do I take Arizona to beat Virginia? Uh, I think it's it's a really, a really tough matchup for them. Um, ultimately, I, I go with Virginia, but I could switch that, uh, and that kind of has a big impact on what I do with the rest of the tournament. There, I have Virginia, Kentucky, and Tennessee, Cincinnati, and I've got Virginia beating Cincinnati to get to the Final Four. Um, I don't feel good about any of that. I have Virginia beating Nevada, and. I mean, if that happens, I feel pretty good about it, but I, I don't feel great about Virginia making it against Arizona. I, we, we've talked about Kentucky as a potential matchup there, and I could see Kentucky winning this whole tournament if they just turn it on, but right. they just haven't looked the part this year. Like, this has just not been a Kentucky team that you, you know, you say, like, can stab its fingers, and it's just so much more talented other than other teams. Like, Especially I this Duke is that team. Yeah. Um, and that, that draw against Arizona is brutal. Um I think Arizona is a much more troubling spot for Virginia, and I could also see Virginia just Kentucky so young. I could see Virginia just uh, frustrating the hell out of them. Um, so uh, I would feel pretty good if it's if it's uh, the Who's versus the Cats, those Cats, I guess. Um, Arizona just ate in such a monster that, and and they're a little more experienced. They have Alonzo Trier, assuming he doesn't get suspended for the 80th, 80th third time in the last two years. Um, I just think that that would be more troubling if you're a Virginia fan than Kentucky, but you know either one's not great, and it, that's a really brutal, uh, brutal Sweet Sixteen draw overall. Um, I don't know that like I, I think Cal's been complaining about it. I don't know. That's he's always complaining. He's always complaining as long as he's not when he's not a one seed. But overall, I mean, it, it is pretty tough to see Kentucky and Arizona, who are both among the, probably the ten most talented teams in this field, potentially going against each other in the first weekend. Yeah, and interestingly, I'm looking now, and I really love two seeds this year, which is probably bad. Um, anyway, so going to the last, the West, um, who's your Sweet 16? In the West, I have Xavier Gonzaga, and I have the Zags winning, and I have UNC beating Michigan. I've got Gonzaga beating Xavier, and I've got... UNC beating Houston. I thought about that Houston one. Um, it's tough. Those two teams are playing really well, Houston and Michigan. Uh, Houston's really surging lately. Michigan obviously won the Big Ten. There are the obvious layoff questions. Um, I just went with like, the slightly safer pick there. Right. But uh, I do like UNC a lot. I think they're playing really good. And I think I think people are kind of sleeping on them just because they lost a lot from last year. But it's a super experienced team with a couple legit star players and uh, that just won a title last year and, and obviously is, is, seems to be relatively peaking uh, lately. So I think they're, uh, they're going to be really tough out. Yeah, I've got UNC beating Gonzaga, but I would not be surprised if the opposite happened. And that's really where I want to try to mess with this, uh, this three ACC uh, Final Four thing that I've got going on. 
Uh, I have the same thing. I have UNC uh, beating the Zags in the Elite Eight. So then my title game, just to skip ahead, is Duke over Virginia, which I want to vomit in my mouth. Um, what about you? I have Virginia over Michigan State. All right. Which is, which yeah. Which is I, counterintuitive I just, to what usually happens. Yeah, I know. Uh, I didn't even think about that. Wow. <laughs> Um. Yeah, I just I I. Oof, that scares me. That'd be such a nightmare um, for like who's fans. <laughs> like, oh, if they if they get to the title game and they're fight, facing Michigan State, I don't even know what they'll do. Like they'll they will really lose their minds. Um. Yeah, I. It's just I just feel good about this, this Virginia team. We talked about it a little bit last week. It's this is such an uninspiring field in terms of like elite teams that they're just the one. They've been the like the the consistent program all year long and uh i just feel pretty good about them getting through uh most of these other teams i just feel like way safer about them than almost anyone else i could see villanova too although they've had hiccups this year i have michigan state beating them um but those are the two teams that i feel like have been relatively reliable all season where everyone else has been way up and down so uh, i'm going with the who's uh it's probably a little bit of acc homerism but um Overall, it's hard to argue with the number one seed over, uh, in the tournament. Um, and then, obviously, I have them beating UNC, and I have Michigan State beating Villanova to get to the final. I buy it. All right, uh, before we go, uh, quick predictions for Wednesday. Um, you got Syracuse or Arizona State, and why? Or at least a score. Uh, I'm taking Syracuse to win the playing game. Uh, I'll go by a score of how about seventy three to sixty seven. All right. I uh, I also have Syracuse winning this game. I think they will win by a score of seventy four to seventy. And it will terrify us because Arizona State's going to come back late as Syracuse tries to stall with like seven minutes left. Oh yeah, you can probably put that that one hundred percent. That feels right. <laughs> All right. Um, well. That was a fun episode, as always, so thank you, Dan, for joining. Yes, look forward to uh, hopefully still being alive and doing a preview of the Sweet 16 uh, next week. That would be fantastic. Uh, that was Dan. I'm John. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Troy Nudes and Absolute Podcast. You can rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, on Blog Talk, and go Orange. Go Orange. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. 
With 25% off all new and up to 70% off previously leased furnishings, do you really need a better reason to party? We don't think so. Come visit our new Court Furniture Clearance Center with more than 9,000 square feet of new and previously leased furniture and decor for your home and office. Sofas from $199.99, bedroom sets from $399.99, dining sets from $299.99, and more. Free food, prizes, and fun all weekend long at our Chantilly Court Furniture Clearance Center at 13946 Lee Jackson Memorial Highway or go online at courtclearancefurniture.com.